going on, everybody? Welcome to the Big Dudes in the Trenches podcast. I am Doug, and I am by myself today because uh, we kind of just found out that both Bug and Tug need to work tonight. Uh, yeah, so found that out last night. Uh, if Jake, if, if you happen to be listening to this at some point, uh, first of all, I know you probably would have said yes to coming on. I would have felt terrible asking you last second like that. So we're doing a whole episode of just me. I can do it. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Uh, But I guess the best way to do that is to go ahead and get started. And I guess we'll get started with some NFL news. First up, there was a, Sean Taylor Memorial unveiled at the Commander's Stadium this weekend. This is what it looks like on the screen here. Uh, For our audio listeners, it's a wire mannequin with a jersey on it, which doesn't even match. It's all kinds of messed up. There were people pointing out that it even has soccer cleats. Well, Sean Taylor wore soccer cleats. Um, so that part's correct, but the weird combination of Reebok pants and Nike Jersey, uh, and the old logo coming back on the helmet, kind of, kind of sketchy for, <laughs> for a couple of reasons. Uh, they also announced this like it was going to be a statue and then it was this wire mannequin looking thing. So probably not the best decision the organization could have made in honoring one of its legends at just any point in their history. Honestly, Sean Taylor was a fantastic player and one of the most well-remembered on the Washington football team throughout history. Uh, Now, I don't personally like this. I know a lot of people have very strong opinions about how this looks. I will say I did see a video where his daughter really seemed to appreciate it. And honestly, that's, that's what matters most. So if she's happy with it, I'm happy with it, I guess, but it feels like they could have done better still. Speaking of doing better, <laughs> Deshaun Watson's back. Uh, don't know if that's really the right move for the NFL as a whole. It's a thing that's happening. And Yeah, the Browns certainly need him. I don't know, actually, after that throw in overtime Sunday, I guess yesterday. Maybe Jacoby Brissett can do this all by himself. (laughs) I don't know, but Sean Watson's back officially reinstated, whatever all that means. He was practicing with the team for a week at this point. I don't think any of those official designations matter as much as people want to let on. I know Bug would approve of that statement. But Deshaun Watson is back, and I'm sure one of us will be picking the Browns-Texans this week as our game of the week, if it's not in primetime, which it might be. You know how the NFL works. But speaking of all that, let's look at the games that we picked. Of course, Bug was in the lead heading the last week. I was closing in. On bug. Um, we'll see how we did this week, though. Thanksgiving Day. Bug went a 3-0 here. Uh, 
Tug and I went two and one. Of course, we all picked the Bills over the Lions. That game was a lot closer than it seemed like it should have been before Thanksgiving Day started. The Lions have a knack of doing that. They also have a knack for losing. So (laughs) Uh, this is the first team in a very long time to win back-to-back games at Ford Field. (laughs) Sorry, Lions fans, but it's definitely true. Uh, Next up, we had Giants-Cowboys. Yeah, the Cowboys didn't, didn't look as good as they did against the Vikings, but... Got to give them credit. The Giants are, are not a bad team this year. And uh, Cowboys still look pretty darn good doing it. 28-20 to 20 for the Dallas Cowboys there. And then I went with the the Patriots over the Vikings in the last day, last game of the day. And the only reason I did that is because of how bad the Vikings burned me last week. It almost actually worked out in my favor. (laughs) The Patriots made that a lot closer than it felt like it should have been. But Justin Jefferson is a beast. Jake and I talked about this when he was on the show, I believe two weeks ago now, where that trade, Justin Jefferson basically straight up for Stephon Diggs, one of the most even trades of all time. Not like the Vikings were in Super Bowl contention this year or the last couple of years. The Bills were trying to get into that window immediately. And then Justin Jefferson has been a building piece for that offense. Just an incredible trade all around there for both teams. As we head into the primetime matchups of the week, last night we had Packers-Eagles. Eagles did pull this one out. But it got relatively close there at the end. Uh, Aaron Rodgers probably going to miss some time now, potentially with some broken ribs. I saw the MRIs and the x-rays are inconclusive, which, like Tug was saying, uh, how how are x-rays inconclusive? It's either broken or it's not. Yeah, but sometimes it can be broken in weird places, I guess. All sorts of things are possible. Medical stuff's weird. That's why we trained doctors for a long time. And I have not been trained for a long time. So I don't want (laughs) to speculate too hard about what's going on there. I will say the Eagles look like a legitimate contender. We have said this for a couple of weeks now. The first half season schedule was sketchy. But a team with momentum and confidence is extremely dangerous. They're in the NFL, right? They are a talented team. I think the Eagles could go very far here in the NFC side of the playoffs even. I could see this being a very dangerous team down the stretch. Tonight should have already started, actually. Uh, Steelers at Colts. Two of us going with the Colts here. Bug, the alone Steelers watcher. I know Jake would pick the Steelers as well if he were on. Uh, yeah, I I really don't believe in either of these squads at the moment. I was just going with the home team there and my boy, Jeff Sunday. <laughs> I'm rolling with that. I'm rolling with it way too hard. It's not good anymore, but it's funny to me, so I'm rolling with it. <laughs> Our matchups of the week to watch out for, Bears at Jets. The Jets did pull this one out. 
with Mike White performing better than Zach Wilson has ever played in his life, unreal. I was joking about the Western Kentucky takeover, and it's legit. I need <laughs> I need Bailey Zappi to be starting for the Patriots. He would have beat the Vikings. We all know it's true at this point. Western Kentucky is the greatest place to develop quarterbacks of all time. Austin Reed needs to be drafted, and he will be a star. I don't make the rules. That's just how it's going to be. Mike White is your new franchise quarterback for the New York football Jets. That's what we've learned. <laughs> yep. That's, that's <laughs> anyway, uh, also we're watching Bengals at Titans. Uh, the, the Titans were held to not very many rushing yards. Uh, Derrick Henry only had 38 rushing yards on the game. He was also the team's leading receiver, which is never a good sign for the Titans either. I don't know. The Bengals kind of had the answers in this one. I was very surprised at that. At the same time, the Bengals are really turning some things around. They're becoming a legitimate threat in the AFC again, which also surprises me in a lot of ways. Actually, I think with the Ravens losing to the Jaguars, the Bengals might be in sole possession of first place in that division. Either that or they're tied. But man, the Bengals are looking better and better as the season progresses. And the opposite's true of the Titans so far. Uh, we're going to have to see in a couple of weeks what happens here. Need them to step it up. Buccaneers at Browns. We all picked the Buccaneers. Uh, yeah. There's a great side story to this game where there was some disgruntled employee, apparently, who drove out onto the field turf and tore up part of the grass with his car like a couple of days before the game. They were trying to fix the field. Never really got it fully fixed. You could see the tire tracks on the field for this game. The Buccaneers corner, whoever it was on Amari Cooper, tripped on those tire tracks in the field on that crucial play in overtime. And Amari Cooper got open, brought him down to like the two-yard line, and Nick Chubb ran it in with like... 17 seconds to go in overtime, 19 seconds to go. Unreal. <laughs> I can't, first of all, I can't believe this game got to overtime. And second of all, the Browns actually won it in overtime. When's the last time the Browns have been able to pull that off? They are also the first team to beat the Buccaneers since Tom Brady's gotten a divorce. That's, that's hilarious. Uh <laughs> But also, the Buccaneers are under 500, as is the rest of the NFC South. That division is awful this year, and potentially the worst division in all of the NFL so far. Actually, I don't think that's really deniable at this point. There are no redeeming qualities about the NFC South. Did not expect to say that <laughs> before the season started. Uh, moving on to uh, how we did, we all went four and three so far. So I guess because of that, I was in last place. 
and I didn't get further in last place. I'm claiming the Stonks Award. Nobody's on today to prevent me from doing so. So I'm claiming it. It's all mine. Now, <laughs> if the Steelers win, I will retroactively give Bug his Stonks. But if the Colts win, it's all mine for sure. And <laughs> I'm catching you, dude. I'm catching you, Bug. If you're listening to this, I'm I'm coming for that ass. But now let's jump to the fantasy picks. Bug had wide receivers this week. Wanted to sit Deshaun Watson, not Deshaun Watson, Deshaun Jackson. Very different Deshaun. But <laughs> we didn't know if Deshaun Jackson was going to be playing for the Baltimore Ravens this week. He ended up playing surprisingly and ended up putting up 74 yards on two catches, which isn't like a great fantasy stat line, but Holy cow, it's still Deshaun Jackson. Did not expect that. Also, we were starting Garrett Wilson simply because Zach Wilson's not playing. We have to do that every week. Zach Wilson doesn't play because Garrett Wilson is the greatest receiver of all time without Zach Wilson. 95 yards, two touchdowns. Absolutely the move here. I'm going to give him the win for the Deshaun Jackson sit as well. I know that's 9.4 PPR points, but come on. If you're sitting, if you're starting Deshaun Jackson last week, you are an insane fantasy player and you were so desperate you didn't deserve the points. I hope that got adjusted on you. <laughs> and Tug took the running backs this week. I mean, Bug said it, I think, on the show last week. Uh, these seem like bold moves. Definitely would have flipped them. Uh, and that would have been the right call. Unfortunately, Tug had them in this order with Cam Akers the start and Isaiah Pacheco the sit. Yeah, that those are both bad. I'm going to give both of those L's. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco did have one catch as well, making it a 15.6 PPR game with that touchdown. Very nice. And Cam Akers was the leading rusher for the Rams. Uh, as, far, as far as running backs go, Bryce Perkins was actually the leading rusher. But as far as running backs go, Cam Akers did lead the way. Tug was correct about that. But he only had 37 yards for it. Bad, bad performance on running backs this week. But I'm going to give him 24 and 24 overall, which feels like a realistic fantasy stat line for start sets. (laughs) We are right 50% of the time, just like you are. That's... That's the BDT promise. <laughs> Let's go ahead and jump into college football. And I, I know I've been moving quickly, but we have a lot to talk about in college football. And I want to get into a couple of things, probably a little bit more in depth than we could if everybody were here. So this is the time to do that. It's the end of the college football regular season. We have the coaching carousel. But before we get there, Let's look at the AP poll versus the BDT trench ratings, as we usually do. Georgia up top, the team up north at number two, TCU number three. All checks across the board. Ohio State above USC in the BDT trench ratings. Actually, pretty representative of most statistical models at this point. I know Ohio State got blown out, but over the course of the rest of the their regular season games, they were very dominant, and USC was not. So 
actually, I think I believe ESPN FPI still gives Ohio State an 80 plus percent chance to make the playoff. Wild stat. I don't know if that's really true. I don't buy it. Uh, but yeah, Ohio State is analytically still better than USC, but absolutely correct order for voting to put USC ahead. Um, the only real other surprise here, I mean, if you watch the BDT trench ratings last week, you'll know we have Penn State relatively high. But the only other surprise would be the AP poll has Washington in the top 10. We don't believe that to be accurate. We actually have Tulane in the top 10. Put some respect on the green wave. Very good season down there in the American Athletic Conference. And we actually have a lot of group of five teams in that 10 to 20 range, which the AP poll does not. So uh, some really good teams down there. Uh, glad UTSA did finally get ranked the top 25. They've been in our top 15 for a little while now. <laughs> uh, but, you know, we only show the top 10s on the show. So <laughs> that's, that's how we're looking in comparison. But let's get to that coach in carousel. I was just talking about, you know, uh, some wild moves, some very surprising moves. And to start that off, let's talk about David Shaw resigning from Stanford after three straight losing seasons. Yeah, pretty bad stretch there for him. But also he felt like one of the paragons of college football. I mean, golly, David Shaw is synonymous with Stanford at this point been there so long been so successful there as well he resigned meaning that he believes stanford's better off without him that's rough that is uh that's wild to me uh wish the best for him and hopefully stanford can find someone to carry on his legacy because it's a great legacy there next up at florida atlantic willie taggart was let go after his third season with the owls Never making a bowl game there. Finishing 5-7 and seven this season. Certainly with a chance for a bowl game, too. I think if he would have gotten 6-6, six and six, he would have been allowed to stay. But that 5-7 and seven was the straw that broke Campbell's back, and he's gone. Already hired somewhere else, though, as he is the new offensive coordinator for the Miami Hurricanes already. Kind of incredible. That's, that's how fast this world works. Uh, next up, Texas State let go their head coach, Jake Spavadol. He also had his brother on staff. I'm sure the entire staff's getting blown up here. Bug and I have talked about the Bobcats here for a couple of years, actually, where it just feels like they're more talented and more physical and more dominant than their record ever shows. At some point, the only only finger you can point is at the head coach, right? I mean, who else would be to blame for a team that should be winning more than they are and just never can. So I understand the decision. I really hope Texas state can get their act together because it really does feel like they're a plus 500 team who just has not been winning games. Next up on this same screen is Philip Montgomery, kind of the opposite uh, early in his career anyway with Tulsa ended up going 10 and three with the hurricane the golden hurricane as it is uh, in 2016 gradual decline from there steady decline too I think last year 
was uh or this year was is was just really bad. I think one in ten, two and two and ten, one eleven. Somewhere in there. Awful, awful season. Made four bowl games with Tulsa. Has not been able to maintain. So I understand moving on from Philip Montgomery, but you know, eight seasons of history with him. That is tough. Next up, Western Michigan let go their head coach, Tim Lester. Tim Lester has a winning overall record with the Broncos, 37-32. and 32. But you have to consider, he's the guy who took over for P.J. Fleck. So we've seen nothing but gradual decline in the Broncos program since he took over. That's, that's tough, but it's also true and fair. Uh, he did go 5-7 and seven this season, missing out on a bowl game. And that's not good enough at Western Michigan anymore. Tim Lester has been let go. The next one really surprises me. Another five and seven season, but Marcus Arroyo out of UNLV was let go today. Just steady improvement, though. Got to be honest with you. Felt like really strong growth in the Rebels over the past couple of years. He's only been there three seasons. COVID season he was 0-6 right UNLV was terrible and it was COVID kind of can't blame anybody for any record that happened that year the next year they won two games this year they won five they were on track for some good things at UNLV it makes me question some off-field stuff and I don't think anything of Marcus Arroyo I don't think he did anything wrong here what I mean with that is I think the administration has some wrong ideas about this program. I really think that the AD here is trying to position UNLV for a Pac-12 invite. It doesn't believe Marcus Arroyo is the guy to draw that interest from the league, which is just so wrong in so many ways. Imagine if they try to bring in a guy like Brian Harrison right now. I mean, come on. What are you doing when you have proven success under Marcus Arroyo so far? At least see where he can take you. I I don't understand this one at all, but it happened. It happened today. So we'll see what UNLV does with this possibility in this opening. Uh, But a couple of teams have already filled their openings. That's that could be taken a couple of different ways. I'm going to rephrase that. A couple of other teams have already hired new head coaches. <laughs> uh, well, let's start off with the biggest one and the first one. Nebraska hired Matt Rule to an eight-year, seventy-two million dollar deal. That's why I say it's the biggest one. Massive contract for Matt Rule. Now I understand he has a reputation as a team builder, at least at the college football level making Temple into a respectable program for a couple of years, turning Baylor into a a Big 12 contender. I was about to combine the words Big 12 and uh, contender and pretender for some reason. I don't know. Baylor was good with Matt Rule. (laughs) Uh, It didn't work out in the NFL. That happens. NFL is a very different game. We will see what he does with Nebraska. I 
don't really know what to think about this hire. Got to be honest with you. I kind of don't see the fit here. Maybe that's just me not understanding the Nebraska job as well as I think I do. Maybe that's me not understanding Matt Rule as well as I think I do. But it doesn't feel like his kind of a job here to me. But he accepted it. It's for eight years. So if it doesn't work out, Nebraska's on hook for a lot there. Uh, uh, I am rooting for Nebraska to work, though, with Matt Rule, I think. A good Nebraska is good for college football. Next up, Arizona State brings home one of their own graduates, Kenny Dillingham. Has been an offensive coordinator under Mike Norvell and under Gus Malzahn at Memphis, Auburn, and Florida State. Then went to Oregon for a year under Dan Lanning and now is the head coach at Arizona State. The place he called home at his press conference said, pointed to somebody in the crowd, like, that guy's literally in my wedding. Uh, <laughs> the youngest coach in all the Power Five right now at just 32 years old. Very impressive. Uh, rooting for him. That's a tough place to win. Tough place to sustain success, I should say. Probably more accurate. Um, but I think the right combination of guys and the right culture fits, they can certainly get it done. Kenny Dillingham does feel like that kind of a culture fit. So good hire in my eyes. We'll see how it works out. I'm certainly, once again, rooting for the best here. Next up, the most surprising to me out of any of these has to be Luke Fickle. I mean, to turn down as many job offers as he is known to have had and then to accept Wisconsin. It feels very strange. <laughs> uh, why would you not take the Notre Dame job last year? But yeah, Wisconsin. Wisconsin is uh, an interesting fit. Honestly, this kind of changes the identity of Wisconsin in a couple of good ways, I believe. You can't win at the highest level in college football anymore just relying on a singular running back. That is a brutal reality of the sport. The NFL has known this for a couple of decades now, it seems like. There are a few that slipped through the cracks. Trent Richardson was a top three pick. Saquon Barkley seems to have been a higher draft pick that was mostly worth it. For the most part, NFL teams don't draft running backs in the first round anymore. And it's because of the same principle, right? Running backs aren't going to be the reason you win a lot of games anymore. And that's starting to become very true at college football level, uh, level as well. Luke Fickle is going to find you a dual threat quarterback, first of all, which is something Wisconsin hasn't had since Russell Wilson, which imagine that was the last time they were winning Big Ten championships. Also, Luke Fickle is going to tap into the transfer portal in a way that I don't believe Wisconsin was capable of doing before. Not that these guys aren't intelligent enough to figure it out. It's just it wasn't set up that way. And Luke Fickle knows how to set things up that way. Cincinnati thrived off of transfers the past couple of seasons, even making it so far as the college football playoff with Cincinnati in a group of five conference. Unbelievable coach. 
nothing against Luke Fickle here. It's just the fit is strange to me. I think Wisconsin's making a good move for the future of the program. There's going to be some backlash when Wisconsin football doesn't look the same over the next couple of seasons. But I do believe they're going to be tough, physical, nasty. That's great for the Big Ten. And it's just more accumulation of talent in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, Can do nothing but help that TV revenue, I guess. Those TV deals looking pretty sweet now that you have Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly, Luke Fickle, Matt Rule all added to the conference. (laughs) Um, Next up, the last head coaching hire that we know of just yet, Hugh Freeze headed to Auburn. Unreal. Uh, Apparently Lane Kiffin was the plan A and Hugh Freeze was the plan B. And there was no plan C, which, okay. Why in the world are you paying like 25 million a year to people who don't coach for you anymore? Only to settle for a guy like Hugh Freeze. (laughs) Let's forget the on-field results for a second. He's a successful coach. He wins you a lot of games at a couple different schools. There are so many issues with Freeze's tenures at Ole Miss and at Liberty. I cannot believe an SEC school actually jumped to the chance to have him as their head coach. Not only that, they wanted him. They pursued Hugh Freeze. Like, this is... Oh, man. I I mean, I really have almost nothing to say to this. This is kind of gross. Kind of indicative of the state of things. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, Speaking of Lane Kiffin, though, he did get an extension at Ole Miss. Uh, $1 million or so a year raise as well to stay in Oxford. Uh, There are five head coaches in the SEC now, I believe, making more than $9 million a year, of which Lane Kiffin is now one. So congrats to him. Also working on an extension is Shane Beamer at South Carolina. Absolutely have to after two straight top 10 wins to end the season. Uh, (laughs) South Carolina is a fun team with Shane Beamer, which I think is the most important thing you can be at South Carolina is be a fun team. They are exciting to watch, and Shane Beamer seems like a hell of a coach to play for. I'm very happy for him. Very happy for University of South Carolina locking up their guy. Uh, this is a this is a good era for the real USC. <laughs> but with that, that means there are, I think, twelve jobs still open. Uh, And I wanted to do something a little bit different here. This is something we definitely wouldn't have time for if all the boys were on. Like this would already be an hour and a half show, not half an hour show to this point in the news. But I think it's time to look at those 12 Ed Coaching job openings and just kind of tier list them out because there are some real really different types of jobs on this list of openings. 
I think this could be interesting. So I'm going to go in alphabetical order of the FBS jobs that are currently open. Uh, if you don't know how tier lists work, it goes S is the best, then A, B, C, D, and I did add an F tier as well. I don't know if any of these will qualify as S tier jobs or even as F tier jobs. I guess we'll find out. But <laughs> let's go ahead and get started. Uh, first up in alphabetical order would be the Cincinnati Bearcats. I'm going to say this is an A tier job. And that kind of sounds wild at the jump because this is a relatively small school. It's not the flagship university of the state. It doesn't get the respect of the flagship university in the state. Um, but it's going up to a power five conference right now, which means they're going to want you for a long time. They're going to pay you for a long time and they have some good resources right now. This is probably the biggest head coaching hire they're going to be able to make for the history of Cincinnati, right? They've never been able to put this much money on their football head coach. I would say this is an A-tier destination. There should be several high-profile names interested, and I've seen a couple that have been surprising until you realize what exactly this job offer is going to look like. This is a team who made the playoff, as a group of five team, imagine what they can do in the Big 12. So I've seen Matt Campbell get linked to this already. I've seen a couple of guys, potentially coordinators of the year, the types who go to the Power 5 jobs openings are looking at Cincinnati. They're about to be a Power 5 job anyway. They're going to be paid as if it is a Power 5 job. So Cincinnati goes in the A tier for me. Next up is Colorado. Um, let's just call it like it is. Colorado is one of the worst teams in Power 5 history this season. <laughs> um, I think that's fair. <laughs> I'd also say they do have a history of success and would like to return to that. And I think they're going to be willing to pay to return to that. So I could see this being better than just the past couple of seasons would indicate they're going to have to dip down to the barrel. I'm going to give it a D tier. It's not an F though. I really don't believe it's an F tier job. It is in the power five already. The PAC 12 is a winnable conference, especially with USC and UCLA leaving soon. I think this is a better job than some people will give it credit for. Next up will be Florida Atlantic. This is a B tier to me. I really like Florida Atlantic in a lot of ways, kind of the non-Power 5 version of a Cincinnati-type job. There is clear trajectory. You can go to FAU. If you win there, you will get respect and get a big-time job offer very soon. We've seen it a couple of times recently. They also have enough money to invest in their football program. They like to spend money on head coaches I could see this being a real opportunity for a couple of big names. Georgia Tech, I do think is better than the Colorado job, but also not by much. I think one of the biggest problems with Georgia Tech, you have a power five schedule in the ACC, plus one of your non-conference games every year is going to be Georgia. <laughs> 
that's a that's a tough sell at the moment. Uh, they're in Atlanta, though. They're in a hotbed of high school football. Georgia, Florida, Alabama. They produce the best high school football talent in the country right now, without a doubt. Georgia Tech should be in contention for a lot of those guys. They haven't been recently. Doesn't mean they shouldn't be. Um, I think this is probably better than Colorado simply because of the area of the country that it's in. I'm going to give it a C tier. That's probably the highest I can go with it. Uh, Let's move on to Liberty. Liberty is open right now because Hugh Freeze just left for Auburn. What a wild statement that is. Uh, But yeah, Liberty, the job is available. There are a lot of good things about the Liberty job. And there are a lot of bad things about the Liberty job. I think that's going to balance out to like a C tier job. So let me explain myself. Liberty has a lot of money. They're one of the largest universities in the country. Like by total enrollment, everything. They're one of the biggest universities in the country. They like to spend money on college football too. They want to be successful with it. So they're willing to pay for a decent head coach. That's apparently been one of the reasons they've had a hard time getting into a conference like Conference USA, which they are joining because the pay gap between their head coach and the rest of the league's head coaches is probably going to be relatively high, which is <laughs> kind of wild. I do think with them joining Conference USA, that helps the job even more. It's going to be a very winnable conference. You have a lot of teams leaving for the American Athletic Conference right now. You're adding Sam Houston State, Jacksonville State, Kennesaw State. That sounds like a very winnable conference at Liberty. I feel like with that alone, with those things only being your consideration, this is an A-tier job to me. I know it's a group of five job, but this is a a legitimate opportunity. Then take off all the off-field stuff. This is a very Christian conservative university. Not in the live and let live kind of a way, but more in the live and let die kind of a way. <laughs> it's going to bring a whole lot of scrutiny. Um, fortunately, they are a private university, which means there's not much. Uh, nobody can FOIA <laughs> all that goes on there, but there's going to be some scrutiny. I don't know. There are going to be a lot of pe- a lot of coaches who see the off-field kind of sides of the Liberty job instantly eliminate it from their list. For the right candidate, this is potentially an A-tier job. I think for the purposes of the tier list, the only fair way to do that would be to throw this in C. Just kind of balance it out. For some, it would be an F-tier. There's no chance in hell. So I'm going to throw it it in C and move on to Stanford, which is honestly the toughest job on this list. They're in a Power 5 conference. They have the expectation of championships. They also have such high academic standards. It is very difficult to recruit there. Uh, 
we saw two straight head coaches succeed in Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw. That is brutal for the next guy. Because if you don't make bowl games in your first three seasons, you will be gone. Uh, <laughs> which feels rough after just seeing David Shaw go three straight losing seasons. I also think it's probably kind of true. Um, going to be a tough, going to be a tough one. Also, Stanford is probably going to pay you power five money. So makes up for a lot of things. Not going to lie. I'm going to throw Stanford in the C tier. There are a lot of things to like about Stanford, but I think the job is just going to be so tough there. They're going to really need to make it worth your while. Uh, Texas State up next, again, going in alphabetical order. The Texas State job is an interesting one. They really aren't in a position to succeed as is. It's going to be a very intensive rebuild with a lot of relationship building involved. A lot of high school coach relationships need mending there, from what I hear. I think this is a doable job, though. I mean, we've seen uh, at UTSA, UTEP, Texas Tech, a couple of real Texas-centric guys succeed pretty quickly in a job like this in some quick rebuilds, too. I mean, Texas is rich with football talent. It's a football state through and through. You're not going to get paid well. I think expectations are going to be unreasonably high considering the strength of the Sun Belt West, uh, which is non-existent. Uh, Texas State's going to want you to start competing for te- for Sun Belt West titles. I'm going to throw this in a D tier. I think with realistic expectations, it becomes a C tier. And with a better paycheck, definitely a C tier. But it's it's going to be a tough job. Going to need the right candidate for sure there. Next up, the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Tulsa, I don't know why specifically, but Tulsa has a, it's a pretty awesome university in my eyes. Um, I have a lot of respect for Tulsa and really like to see them win games. So when they've started sucking as of late, it's been rough. <laughs> As a semi-Tulsa fan, uh, it is the smallest school in the FBS, I believe. Under, It's either under or like right at 4,000 undergraduate enrollment. Tiny. And it's hard to succeed. Uh, you're in an area of Oklahoma with not great connections to a lot of things. If anybody's going to go to Oklahoma, there are already two better programs uh, in your state. It's tough. It's tough. I do think, however, Tulsa is committed to success, but some of these programs maybe aren't necessarily, and that helps a lot. If you have an athletic director going to be on your side, changes things. They've shown loyalty. They've proven that even if you lose a couple of games, they're going to stand by you, give you another chance. I'm going to say Tulsa is also a C-tier job right now. Uh, very easily B tier in the near future with the, the right kind of situation, right kind of recruiting pipelines in place. 
Uh, UAB is open right now. UAB was shut down and reinstated and instantly came out the gate swinging, winning Conference USA. I think that's possible to do again. The transfer portal and everything, just go out and replicate what you did back then. I think you can do it, and UAB has a completely renewed energy about them. It's a wholly different program than than what it was before it was cut and reinstated. <laughs> I don't know how else to say that. It's just, that's the truth. I'm going to throw UAB in the B tier. If you couldn't tell by how I was talking about it, I think it's better than some of these other jobs by far. UAB has middling expectations with a high probability of success and a lot of support for the program. That is a great combination to have. It's very similar in that way to FAU. And I think they're probably on the same tier. UNLV for me is going to probably be my only F tier here. Uh, (laughs) Part of this is because they fired Marcus Arroyo. Not going to lie. UNLV has shown that they don't give you time to succeed. They don't give you a chance to actually complete a rebuild, which is insane. You need athletic directors who understand the task at hand. You need the resources to be able to do those things, which is something UNLV has not been committed to do. I don't see any way in which this is a destination job for anyone. Even if you grew up a UNLV fan, right now it would be tough to convince you to take the UNLV job. I I really... They're not going to be able to pay you enough to do the kind of work they're expecting. And they're trying to coax a power five level job out of a near FCS level resource pool. That is tough. That is tough. The expectations are too high here. USF. Um, well, it has been very up and down. That's the program. Uh, when Quentin Flowers was there, it was awesome. When he was on our show, it was awesome. <laughs> uh, when you know, the past couple of years, USF has been one of the worst teams in all of the FBS. Both extremes are very possible. I do believe that USF has a commitment to winning that a couple of schools in its own state could probably learn from. And I also believe they have shown they're willing to give you a chance to complete a rebuild. uh, Or at least show progress. I'm going to give this a C tier. I really think they have the resources to put forward a competitive offer. And their expectations are reasonable for what the job is. Uh, Western Michigan is the last one up here. As far as an opening goes, I really I really like Western Michigan <laughs> as a job opening. Not going to lie. I think this is, a, this is a really good opportunity for somebody to prove themselves. The MAC is wide open every season the Mid-American Conference. You can win it any given year. 
with any given team. Um, this program also has a history of relatively recent history of success, and they definitely want to get back there, meaning they're willing to throw some more resources at the problem than some other schools in the Mid-American Conference. I think this is a B-tier job. This is better than most of the jobs on this list for sure. Honestly, ranking inside of B-tier, I would probably put this above UAB as well. Like, I think Western Michigan's one of the best jobs on the market right now, which sounds wild on the surface. But really analyze what the job's offering, what's expected of you, and even just the location. I think... I think that area of the country is deep enough in talent. You can succeed at Western Michigan fairly easily, and it won't take a massive rebuild for the expectation. So that is my tier list of the current openings at the FBS level. Hope you enjoyed that. If, uh, took a fair bit of time off the show, that's for sure. But I think it was worth it. It was certainly fun to do. Let's jump back into the coaching carousel, though, because that's the FBS level. There are some FCS level openings as well. I'm not going to have as much detail on these and not going to do a tier list of these openings for sure. But there are a few openings, and I think they're at least worth mentioning, worth looking at. Uh, Wolford, North Alabama, Arkansas, Pine Bluff, and Charleston Southern all had their jobs open up during the season when they let their coaches go. All of these guys had losing records with their schools. Um, yeah, tough places to win. At the same time, some of these schools at least do have a history of success, and you can't can't expect to hang out very long in the football world if you have a losing record. Next up, uh, VMI's Scott Walkenheim resigned. I don't know if that's even really fair. He called it a resignation himself, but it feels more like a retirement. He is 60, and he led VMI to some of the best success they've ever had. I will say he went 24-62 and 62 at VMI, but also consider how bad VMI was before he got there. And the fact that he took them to a playoff appearance is kind of incredible. So technically, Scott Walken, I'm resigned from VMI. Yeah, I think I think he very well may just sail off into retirement here uh, after a job well done with key debts. The Citadel, another military school here, Brent Thompson was let go, amassing a record of thirty six and forty four. Not terrible, but certainly some regression the past couple of years from the Citadel. Uh, can't have it. Towson, Towson, the Tigers. Uh, they let go their coach, Rob Ambrose, 76 and 76 overall. At some point, it's time for a refresh, and Towson certainly thought this was the time. Lamar also let their head coach go, Blaine Morgan, 5 and 23 at his time there. Uh, didn't show enough improvement year to year even though I really do think Lamar played tougher uh, in s at least certain situations, certain games this season than they have a tough place to win. And especially with conference jumping, like Lamar has been trying to do. I don't know that Blaine Morgan was really set up for success here at the same time. 
five and 23, you're not going to keep your job. It's just the way college football works. Uh, next up, Northern Colorado let go of Ed McCaffrey. The entire Ed McCaffrey family, other than Christian, <laughs> felt like they were all there. Uh, and Luke, I guess, at Rice now. But, uh, yeah, the Bears of Northern Colorado, the, not good. Past couple of seasons, <laughs> just not good. Uh, so, head coach, one of the coordinators, the quarterback, all in the same family, all gone. Uh, next up, let's look at Lehigh and Tom Gilmore, 9-27 and 27 in his time there. Lehigh has been very bad the past couple of years. The thing is, so has their rival, Lafayette. So, wasn't too much scrutiny on the job Tom Gilmore was doing. At the same time, yeah, probably not good enough to earn another season there. Uh, Houston Christian, formerly Houston Baptist, has let go Vic Sheely after going 21-79 and 79 with the program. Been there quite a long time. Honestly, Houston Baptist was awful at football. They've rebranded, uh, not exactly for football reasons, but even the football team, now known as the Houston Christian Huskies. Yeah, I think it's time for a refresh at head coach as well and hopefully build a winning culture there. If you're going to do it, at least try to do it now. Um, Idaho State did not fire their head coach. Charlie Ragel, even though he did go one and ten, Idaho State's one of the toughest jobs in the FCS. Near impossible rebuild at times, it feels like. Charlie Ragel did take on the task. Uh, didn't wasn't going so well. One and ten this season, like I said. But he, instead of coming back, decided to take a job on Kenny Dillingham's staff at his alma mater, Arizona State. So tough to lose your coach. Tough to have to replace him, especially a program as tough to win at as Idaho State is. Uh, but you know, wish the best for Coach Ragel. Coach Ragel, not exactly sure I pronounced that actually. Uh, two more to go here: Texas A&M Commerce, David Bailiff. They could not come to an agreement on a contract extension. He is worth more money than Texas A&M Commerce is willing to pay. That's what that means. 23-13 and 13 doesn't sound like that great of a record, but when you consider they're a brand-new program out of nowhere, uh, fresh up to the FCS level, the job he's done has been pretty incredible. He does have FBS coaching experience, a lot of time spent at Rice. I would consider him a strong candidate at one of the – uh, either open jobs or potentially open jobs in the area. Texas State is certainly one to watch out for with David Bailiff. Not kidding. I think that would be a great hire for them. Uh, last but not least, or maybe maybe it is least, I don't know. Coach is getting fired. Uh, call him what you will. <laughs> but Delaware State's Rod Milstead has been let go, amassing a record of 17-33 and 33 in his time at Delaware State. Not exactly world beaters and couldn't get it done against their rivals. So won't get you too much love there, Delaware State. A uh, lot of movement around college football happens every year. 
certainly worth talking about every single season. It's always fun. It's basically a whole new league every time if we come up on a new season. Uh, well, let's talk about some of the games that happened this past weekend. Of course, the last weekend of the FBS regular season. So a lot of games to be picked. Heading into the weekend, I had the lead in our pick'em, but other guys certainly within striking distance. And I did pick, I think, like seven matchups differently than Tug. So it is possible that he caught me. Let's see how that went. Let's start off with the ranked matchups of the weekend at the FBS level. Uh, two of us went with Tulane. One of us went with Cincinnati. Uh, the Tulane guys got the job done. That's me and Tug. Yeah, truly a back-and-forth game, though. Honestly, a great matchup. If this were a rematch for the AAC title, I honestly don't know who would win. A pretty amazing game. I remember a couple of weeks ago when I shouted out to lane linebacker Dorian Williams as one of my prospects to watch. He had an interception this game. That certainly helped Tulane win. I love it when I'm right. Uh, of course, I also talked about a Cincinnati linebacker as part of the prospect preview series. We'll get to him in a bit. He did all right in this game as well. But one linebacker can't win you the game, unfortunately. I know I kind of just said that Dory Williams won him the game for Tulane, but it's, it's not how that worked. Trust me, I'm not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Let me have it because uh, the next one's painful. The team up north came into Columbus and beat us to death. It was kind of brutal. Kind of brutal. Uh, the first half, it was actually going pretty well. Ohio State was dominating in all facets of the game. Uh, and then they just started beating us in man coverage, and there was nothing we could do at that point. 69, 75, 75, 85, 45-yard touchdowns from the team up north. You can't let that happen and expect to win. 45, 23, just absolutely gut-wrenching. Honestly, I don't know what to make of my emotions after this one. I kind of just want to move on right now. I'm sure the guys will make me talk about it later. So, <laughs> brutal. Absolutely insane what has transpired in this rivalry from going like 9-0 and to uh, now Ryan Day's 1-2. and Can turn on you just like that. Next up, Oregon at Oregon State. Certainly looked like Bug and Tug had this one locked up in the third quarter. Oregon was up 31 to 10. Apparently, there was a booster for Oregon. Went ahead and bought a suite to the Pac 12 title game when Oregon was up 31 to 10, uh, like $11,000. And then, boom, Oregon State came all the way back. 38 uh, 34 is your final score. Oregon State had over 200 yards rushing before contact. They came all the way back without completing or even attempting a pass. This is exactly the kind of scenario I thought would need to transpire for Oregon State to win. They just didn't start doing that until the middle of the third quarter. <laughs> and then they won anyway. Kind of unbelievable. Kind of a great game, actually, too, if you watch the entire thing. 
and I do get the upset victory here with Oregon State. Uh, next up, Notre Dame at USC. I also took an upset here. Did not transpire. USC felt like they cruised the entire time. Never really felt like Notre Dame got that close. But I will say, Caleb Williams just probably cemented himself as the Heisman Trophy winner, knocking down two ranked teams in back-to-back weeks in very high-scoring games for him and uh, some pretty good opponents. Got to say, Caleb Williams will win the Heisman. I don't know <laughs> I don't know if he's deserving of it or not. I'm sure well, when at least one of the guys on will have some postseason awards to talk about. But, man, I, it will be going to Caleb Williams. We know that. <laughs> Our FBS games to watch this past weekend start us off on a Friday. North Carolina State at North Carolina. Part of the Tobacco Road rivalry. And this one went to double overtime. NC State ended up winning when North Carolina's Noah Burnett missed a 35-yard field goal in double overtime. Absolutely brutal. <laughs> College kickers, man. <laughs> um, yeah, so I really I really thought putting the ball in Drake May's hand and the game would basically guarantee a Tar Heel victory. And then NC State's defense just played better. Uh, the North Carolina's offense did. It was kind of beautiful to see in a way, not going to lie. It was also painful because I did pick North Carolina in this. Uh, so did Tug. But Bug got the correct one here, NC State. We all took Minnesota in my game of the week to watch against Wisconsin, the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. Minnesota really won this game in the fourth quarter when technically it was a comeback win, uh, shutting down Wisconsin really getting into the end zone again for the first time since the first quarter. Kind of a tight matchup the entire way, but it felt like Minnesota took complete control that fourth quarter. Kind of impressive, honestly. Uh, Certainly the interception with three minutes left in the game helped with that. It was the only turnover of the game. But yeah, Minnesota walks away, can hold her head up high on the season. They beat the rival. Unlike the Buckeyes. Anyway, uh, <laughs> next game on the list here, we have Appalachian State at Georgia Southern. Bowl eligibility on the line for both of these teams. Appalachian State does finish 6-6, six and six, but two of those wins are against FBS schools, FCS schools, sorry, uh, which both of them can't count. Only You can only count one FCS win towards bowl eligibility per NCAA rules. Uh, and Georgia Southern also finishes six and six after this win and is bowl eligible. Congrats. Congratulations to uh, Georgia Southern who beat Nebraska and got to a bowl game in Clay Helton's first year at the helm. That's honestly, I don't know what else Georgia Southern fans could ask for. <laughs> this game was a thriller as well. Double overtime, 51 to 48. Georgia Southern pulled this one out. Appalachian State was held to a field goal in that second overtime, and Georgia Southern threw the ball in for the end zone on the second play of their drive. Kind of incredible. Uh, (laughs) Just a wild game all around. High-flying, high-scoring. 
it wouldn't be an Appalachian State game if it weren't. Tug was absolutely right to take this one, even though we clowned him for it. Uh, <laughs> very fun game. But let's talk about the FCS playoffs for a minute because we have eight first-round matchups in the FCS playoffs to discuss. First up, Elon at Furman. Furman absolutely dominated this game on the ground. Also got Elon to turn over the ball, which they really didn't do all that much in the regular season. Both these teams felt under the radar to me all year. I didn't really trust either of them. I kind of went with Furman on a whim. I had nothing to base this off of. I was correct. Uh, 31 to 6. <laughs> Unreal. Furman has my attention now. I tell you what, uh, the Paladins of Furman, kind of impressive. Uh, both Bug and Tug did take the Elon Phoenix there. I took an upset pick in the next round, though. Uh, Steven, I almost said Stephen F. Austin. That's absolutely not correct. St. Francis of Pennsylvania. Completely different state and everything. I don't know what I was thinking of. Uh, St. Francis against Delaware. This was not close for any stretch of time. Delaware completely dominated every aspect of the game. 56-17 is your final score. The Blue Hens are moving on. Yeah, I mean, I knew it was an upset pick. I shot my shot. It wasn't. It wasn't good. Uh, Fordham at New Hampshire, the third game of the playoffs here. Just as high scoring as we all said it was going to be. 52-42, New Hampshire pulls this one out. Unreal. What a game, actually. Back and forth the entire way. Honestly, until the fourth quarter, it could have been either team's game. And then New Hampshire did put it away. Uh, about four minutes left, they scored again. And Fordham actually had a garbage time score at the end there, make it look respectable. But New Hampshire pulled away hardcore. The first half was back and forth. Third quarter was, you know, New Hampshire won the third quarter, but it was close. And then they pulled away. Really impressive from the Wildcats here. And the Fordham Rams and Tim DeMoret do go home. Tough loss for Bug there. Um, we all took Richmond in the next matchup. Davidson, we really didn't think had a shot, which turned out to be exactly true. 41 to nothing. Richmond dominated this one even more than Delaware dominated St. Francis, honestly. Um, I really wish St. Thomas would have gotten a shot here. They won that conference. They won the Patriot League, but Davidson got the auto bid because St. Thomas wasn't eligible. It's not really cool in my eyes, is what it is. Uh, and we have three CAA teams moving on in this first round. Elon, the only CAA team falling. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that conference was pretty good. Weird how that happens. Uh, next four matchups here, North Dakota at Weber State. We all took Weber State, and we were all correct by a touchdown, 38-31. to 31. Goes to the Wildcats. Weber State actually went up 24 to nothing. And then North Dakota kept fighting and came within one score. Very impressive. Honestly, I was surprised at North Dakota's resilience. Uh, but Weber State did hold on here. And pretty 
pretty good game at the end there. Second half was certainly worth a watch anyway. <laughs> uh, next up, we had Gardner-Webb at Eastern Kentucky. Like I said, I thought I was taking the upset pick with Eastern Kentucky. Tug did try to side it with me, though. We both lost. Gardner-Webb moving on. They were 6-5 and five heading into the playoffs. I think a lot of team, a lot of people really underestimated them. But three of those losses were to FBS opponents, and they went undefeated in their conference. It was a Gardner Webb was a scary team in my eyes, and they proved why. Fifty-two to forty-one, Gardner Webb pulled away here. The first quarter had five total touchdowns, just back and forth, back and forth. Uh, <laughs> honestly, just a. Wild game, uh, wild season for Gardner Webb. I don't think we'll ever see a schedule quite like this from Gardner Webb again if they can help it. <laughs> uh, man, what a what a matchup! The, probably the most exciting game of the entire first round, though, is our next one: Idaho traveling all the way down to southeastern Louisiana. What a matchup. What a game. 45-42 is your final. SLU does win over the Vandals. Idaho went up 21-10 early. And then SLU kept coming back, kept coming back. 31-21 southeastern Louisiana at one point. Then Idaho kept coming back, kept coming back. It all came down to a field goal at the end to potentially send this one to overtime. Idaho's kicker slipped and he missed it. Absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal way to end, but a fantastic game the entire way. And uh, the Lions are moving on. Next up is the final matchup of the FCS first round. Southeastern, Southeast Missouri State, sorry, at Montana. We all took SEMO for the simple reason that we didn't think Montana belonged here. And for the first half, we looked to be correct. But Montana came out of that halftime 31 unanswered. Unreal. Uh, 34-24 is your final. It really looked like SEMO was going to win. They were dominating the line of scrimmage. Man, that sounds like a familiar matchup. Almost like what happened in the game. Weird. Uh, Montana came out and, <laughs> and won by a lot. Um, so, yeah, Montana's moving on. Still don't think they should have been allowed to be in the playoff, but it's what it is, I guess. Montana beat SEMO, so they're still here. Uh, all those picks... A lot of games, you know, 15 matchups this week to be picking from. How did we do? Well, it turns out Bug and I both went 9-6. and six. I'm giving Bug the stonks on this one. All the way down there in last place right now. And he tied me in first place. That's pretty awesome. I really do believe this. I've said it a couple of times now. I'm going to keep saying it. Manifest it. Bug is going to win this thing at the end. Because of bowl season and everything. It's going to happen. I'm fully prepared, but uh, at least I'm pulling away from Tug. I have that going for me. <laughs> Feels good. <laughs> uh, 
And now to wrap up college, let's talk about the prospects I had pegged to preview this weekend. Uh, Zachary Franklin, wide receiver for UTSA, kicks us off. Four-year guy down there for the Roadrunners. Uh, it also, I understand how it could be a little bit weird to be highlighting the second leading receiver on a group of five team. Well, it turns out that Joshua Cephas was kind of the target of coverage the entire game against UTEP. And Zachary Franklin got 126 yards and a touchdown. And still just a long of 28 yards. Like he is a consistent route runner, medium passes. He is your guy. 6'1", absolutely athletic enough to run any route you want to throw at him. Short, medium. He is a very solid receiver. I think he will be drafted late simply because the physical tools aren't necessarily like world beaters. He's going to need to test well at the combine. At the same time, he is too consistently productive as a receiver to be overlooked for long. Uh, With the bowl game and the Conference USA title game coming up, he will definitely clear a 1,000 yards on the season for a second straight season, which is pretty fantastic. And next up, like I said, I did take a Cincinnati linebacker as the defensive prospect to watch out for, Ivan Pace Jr. Uh, He actually had a good game. (laughs) It led the team in tackles. Uh, Did have half a TFL plus a quarterback hurry. Now, I understand that most of his game is in pass rush, and he didn't get much pass rush, rush production well, it turns out he wasn't really used that way. Now, I don't know why. I guess Luke Fickle's mind was already on Wisconsin. <laughs> That's terrible, but it might be true. <laughs> um, no, really, he played very well. Um, is in line to clear last year's record for himself of 125 tackles. He only needs five in the bowl game to, to match that. Um, 19 and a half TFLs, nine sacks on the season. That's kind of insane. The man is considered to be one of the best on ball linebackers in this class. I definitely see it. So keep an eye on Ivan Pace Jr. Uh, But that honestly is all that I have for the show this week. Uh, not this week, today. We will have another show on Thursday because, yeah, we have conference championship games to preview in the second round of the FCS playoffs. We still have NFL regular season going on for like several more weeks at this point. We got all kinds of things happening. Uh, I feel like I've been choppy in and out all episodes, so hopefully it turned out okay. I guess we will see. Uh, nothing I can exactly do about that at this point, but if you have tuned in, I really do appreciate you. Um, again, sorry, it's a last second solo show, but we do what we got to do around here. This is the big dudes in the trenches and we stay grinding down here in these trenches. Uh, social media links have been scrolling across the bottom of the screen. If you're watching, will be listed in the description. If you're listening, also go ahead and tell you, just think BDT football, and you can find us most places other than Twitch, 
where we would really appreciate if you watched us live Mondays and Thursdays at Big Dudes in the Trenches, all one word. So really do appreciate you checking us out. Uh, Thank you for tuning in and see you next week. 